You're listening to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show, your daily podcast on the National Football League, powered by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show. We are... We're already full, Matt, when it comes to the Peacock and Williamson <laughs> Fantasy Football League. There's some new COVID news and rules and things that are, uh, the rules are the same, but uh, teams are actually starting to get hit with some stuff right now. So uh, numerous teams that we should go over with COVID and remind ourselves that we're not out of the woods yet as far as that is concerned and how it may impact some teams this week and maybe going into the season if it opened the door for a certain young rookie quarterback, potentially. And... We do have a new starter in the NFL at quarterback. That is Teddy Bridgewater, which, Matt, of course, that tends to be what happens. As soon as, like, literally, we stop hitting record, all of a sudden, a Schefter bomb. Let's start there. Teddy Bridgewater is now the starting quarterback of the Denver Broncos. I'm surprised here. I thought it was going to go to Locke. I thought he had the edge coming in. I thought he played well enough. I liked what I saw from Teddy B, but I was surprised that uh, Vic Fangio had the guts to make the actual switch there and go with Bridgewater, who started the second game. Locke started the first game. And to be honest with you, I kind of like it. I'm a little surprised as well. Uh, I mean, obviously, they're very different styles of quarterback. And Locke is the big arm, wild man, high variant, you know, uh, big upside, low downside type, where Teddy's very safe. He's been around the league longer, much more conservative. And I thought it would be Locke, too. You know, I I thought that Locke's upside was enough to kick those tires and see what's going on here. But I also very much understand it in that I think this is a very, very good roster, quarterback aside with an excellent defense, with a defensive-minded head coach, and that to me is the number one key, that I'm sure Vic Fangio is looking at it like, sure, we could develop Locke and have some growing pains and have some ups and downs, but deep down I probably know he's not the answer, and a year from now we're probably going to call Aaron Rodgers anyway or Deshaun Watson, so why bother developing a guy you know, and live with the bad while I can win – you know, or at least play close, tight, you know, low scoring games with Teddy. I think it works. I think it all makes sense. Yeah. Is there a different stock up, stock down scenario now with the other playmakers on offense? We're talking about the fantasy football league for Peacock and Williamson. More notes on that in a second. Uh, I, I got to believe stock up for Jerry Judy. I think he's the biggest winner yeah. in all of this going from lock to Bridgewater he had the most I think he had the most uncatchable target he had a bunch of drops last year too but he had the most uncatchable targets as well in his rookie season last year so a little bit of uh, efficiency from him catching the football more catchable targets Teddy Bridgewater would seem to be a nice fit for the area of the field that Jerry Judy thrives in and some more catch and run stuff and more timing on some of those shorter breaking routes and and he can break off some routes can Jerry Judy so I, I really like that combination I do too. And a lot of the people, you know, the practice report guys, the, you know, the beat writers have said Bridgewater really favors Judy, which makes sense for all the reasons you just laid out. He's the route runner. He's a technical guy. You know, Bridgewater will deliver it accurately and on time. I also think it's good for Fant. Um, I don't know how relevant fantasy-wise Hamler is, but I think if you had some sleeper thoughts on him, you probably got to put those to bed a little bit. I don't know if they're going to be super aggressive with the big plays, but he'll get the ball here and there. 
Sutton's a tough one. I mean, because Sutton, there hasn't been good medical reports on him lately. I can't say this is probably great for him, but I think it's good for Fant, great for Judy. And I would think it, yeah, you're right, probably hurts Hamler just because of the speed element. And there's not going to be any mm-hmm. big shots down the field. We saw a couple of those in the preseason. So, um, and Cortland Sutton is a good player. So I think he'll find his targets and it won't be a problem there for him. He's just got to be healthy and on the field. So that's more about him than it is the quarterback, I think. Right, right. I mean, I think that's 100% true. I mean, he's just kind of an unknown at this point. We've got multiple COVID reports here. So let's start with the Tennessee Titans. And it looks like the Titans are placing, according to Adam Schefter, Ryan Tannehill on the COVID reserve list. He has to miss anywhere between five and 10 days, depending on his status. And uh, the Titans are now dealing with at least three player cases and two coach cases with COVID right now. Um, The Titans had been dealing with this since they got back from Tampa Bay. It looks like Mike Vrabel is one of those. Mike Vrabel is one of those coaches uh, that tested positive on Sunday. Jeff Swaim, linebacker, Justin March Lillard are also looks like those. uh, Those are the three players, along with uh, quarterback Ryan Tannehill, that are going on the COVID list. They said the team is approximately 97 percent vaccinated but i think just looking at what this means that means that ryan Tannehill is one of those that is not vaccinated if i'm following this correctly i don't know i mean we're not allowed to they don't always tell us these things right we kind of but there's different rules it wouldn't be 10 days for Tannehill unless he wasn't vaccinated okay i I think but i might i I might be right about that too it's kind of like the cam newton thing when he went um you know violated the protocol outside the building or whatever and he was five to ten days, which is a totally different story. Might even open the door for Mac Jones. Um, I, I guess this isn't a huge deal for Tennessee. You know, I mean, Tannehill's established. Probably wasn't going to play in the, this next game anyway. But I just hate seeing it. I mean, I hate that we have to keep having these conversations. That I mean, at this pace, and why would it change dramatically in the next couple of months? I have to think that games are going to be affected by COVID still. Yeah, and that's sort of the takeaway with all this is this is going to happen in the regular season. And so the teams that are able to be the most vaccinated will have the the fewest punishments from this and the shortest time away if something does happen and the lower chance for an outbreak and and all of those things. So um, that is something to definitely monitor. Uh, There was a fine, $14,650 to be exact, for refusal to wear a mask, by Bills wide receivers Cole Beasley and Isaiah McKinsley. Beasley's been very adamant about this whole thing and and loud about it on social media. Uh, That seems like a situation that's not going to end well for the Bills and Cole Beasley together. Um, And the the next suspension, if something else does happen there, could be conduct detrimental to the team, maximum of one week's salary of a fine, or it could be a four-game unpaid suspension potentially uh, if anything happens there with with Cole Beasley and the Bills and then uh, you mentioned Cam Newton the Cam Newton situation is interesting because this is from Ian Rappaport essentially Cam Newton tried to do everything right and got tested away from the facility because he has to, to get tested because again it looks like he's unvaccinated so he has to get tested more often vaccinated players only get tested once every 14 days I believe it is I think you're right yeah. so he was away from the team so tried to get tested but somehow did that wrong and the communication was bad so he officially missed a day even though he tried to get tested and actually did get tested while he was away from the team but now he has to wait five days which I believe ended at some point maybe he's back on the field today or tomorrow but there was another report from Michael uh, 
Giardi, who is, let me check who he is. He's a verified Twitter person. Uh, that is a reporter for NFL Network. Okay, I didn't know if he was okay. a yeah. uh, national reporter or with the team specifically. But he said, per sources, there is a level of frustration internally with the Cam Newton situation. One important member of the organization believes this has opened, quote unquote, a window of opportunity for rookie Mac Jones. The team practices today, and this was a couple days ago, uh, and then with the New York Giants tomorrow before Cam Newton can return, which I think means that means today Cam Newton can return after one of those New York Giants group practices there. But uh, interesting. And look, Mac Jones has looked good. Cam Newton really hasn't lost the job or anything, but maybe this is enough for them to say, "Ah, you know what, the rookie looks too good. Let's go. He took reps with the ones and was like 22 of 24 passing the other day at practice. So uh, opportunity given, maybe Mac Jones took it and that's all he needed. Yeah, it's certainly worth discussing. And that's an interesting competition situation, however you want to call it, because the, the players are so different as well. I mean, even maybe more so than in Denver. I mean, just styles of play. And I do think the offensive playbook play calling would be a lot different with Jones in there versus Newton. And you can see where Belichick and the staff would be a little frustrated with this. You know, this is crucial time. We need you to be our leader. And, you know, you do something that we didn't like. You know, I mean, I'm not sure it made him a bad guy or irresponsible or whatever, but it wasn't a good move. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, and this isn't specific to Jones versus Newton, but it definitely – correlates the fields versus Dalton and Garoppolo versus, you know, Lance and all these young guys is they really have not seen real NFL defenses yet. I mean, and I I stress this not because, well, they didn't line up against Aaron Donald and TJ Watt and Miles Garrett and the great players. Yes, that's a hundred percent true, but I've even heard it described. It's like they're playing high school games, you know, in terms of the coverages they're dissecting. I mean, to say they look good is wonderful, and I do it, you do it, everyone out there does it, and Mac Jones has looked good. But he's an advanced thinker at Alabama, and I promise you the coverages he's that we've watched him play against are much easier to decipher than he even dealt with at Bama. Oh, right, and a lot of what happens in the NFL that is a make or break, especially from quarterbacks and coaches, is the adjustments to the adjustments, and he hasn't seen a team scheme for him yet in that offense. He's just seen a a team go out there in preseason ball and just play some vanilla coverages. Uh, Mm -hmm. He hasn't seen many well-disguised defenses, and uh, to your point about Trey Lance, in that first game he had, there was actually one Steve Spagnuolo play call that was like uh, a, a well-disguised coverage, looked like it was going to be man, it was actually zone, and Trey Lance threw it right into the hands of a defender, and he dropped the interception, <laughs> but it, that was like the first time he had seen anything disguised like that, and it, it, it worked to perfection for the defense. So uh, those young players are going to have to go through those hurdles and make some mistakes, and maybe they need to make those mistakes in games to get better, but um, maybe that's the idea is it does benefit them just for a couple weeks to see that on tape and see what the schemes are actually going to look like in the NFL before they go out there and, and face those at the real thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so I, I know everyone's eager to see their guys, but I, I still think, and this is sort of goes back to Denver a little bit, because Locke only has one year under his belt too, is if you start the guy you trust and has been around the block a little bit more, it's probably easier to learn in the quarterback room as a part of the game planning and the prep and, you know, do that for four or five weeks and then get in there, you know? 
All right. I got, still think Cam starts week one. Yeah, I think I think all three of those veterans that we've talked about will end up starting week one. Uh, actually, I have one more note on that. We've got Peacock and Williamson Fantasy Football League information to cover here. And thanks to everybody who has been interested. There's been a ton of interest in jumping in on that league. And uh, maybe dive back into Matt Williamson's spreadsheets here. We've got first half point differential, which I think is very interesting and absolutely correlates what we've seen with the wins and losses in the NFL, two points scored early in football games, all that coming up. I got to say, Matt, I wasn't sure because this was something that we only put out on the podcast and we don't always hear, and this is kind of a radio thing, is you don't hear from a big portion of your listeners. We know they're out there. We've seen the numbers, but you only hear from a handful regularly and there's always very common names that come through and get involved with the... uh, with the Twitter Tuesdays and stuff. And by all means, anybody out there, if you just got a question, shoot it our way. I would love to see some more names and more of you out there. Cause I know there's a ton of people who don't really get involved that just, you know, plug it in and listen to the show on their way to work or whatever, or the way home from work every day. But uh, I was blown away by how many people like this fantasy football league yesterday. And we just mentioned it on the air. I didn't put a Twitter link out or anything like that. Just mentioned it on the air. And within two hours of being done with the podcast and posting it like that league was full and I'm still getting more people oh, yeah. and say, Hey, I want to be involved. And it's like, wow, sorry, it's too late. Like that league filled up very quickly. So that was really cool to see. And I appreciate everybody who wanted to be involved in and play against Matt and I in the Peacock and Williamson fantasy football league, but it is full and it filled up very quickly. Yeah. Very cool. Um, love the participation. Looking forward to doing battle with what 10 of you guys, as well as UBP. I mean, I think there's gonna be a little bragging race between you and I, who mm-hmm, do, yeah. you know, ends, ends the season better. Um, we got to figure out some of the details, but the league is officially there's a site for it. And, you know, I just signed up and put my pretty face on the icon and yeah, I'm ready to roll. <laughs> so we'll definitely be updating people and our strategies and probably a little, uh, little, little talking and chirping here. Oh yeah. We've got to talk a little trash, I think with the listeners and between each other. And here's the funny thing, because it's a huge advantage for the listeners, right? Because we've told them huge advantage, most of our thoughts when it comes to fantasy football. And I say most because Matt, I know you've got some hidden things in your noggin there that you didn't want to tell me or that you just have left out or this, we never had time to cover or anything like that. And I know there's some strategies out there that we're definitely not going to get out of you now between uh, between right now and that fantasy football draft. So I can't wait to see what you have up your sleeve. Yeah, and I guess there is some truth to that. I, I can't de- deny. Um, but as is the case in my home leagues too, everyone will know my intentions a lot better than I know everyone else's intentions. It's a case of, I taught you everything you know, but I didn't teach you everything I know. Right. <laughs> right. That's, that's well said. I like that. Oh, that's good stuff. Let's do a couple questions here, and then in segment three, we'll hit that spreadsheet of okay. It's just a quickie thing. I point hit differential on. in the first half of football games, which is which is pretty eye opening. I like this one because it, it absolutely correlates to wins and losses in the NFL. Uh, a couple questions here from some listeners that we haven't gotten to. Me M W E on Twitter. He says, "Which rookie linemen have been most?" Impressive. We talk so much about quarterbacks. We talk so much about skilled players, offensive side of the ball, and a fantasy football angle on this show. And I feel like sometimes when we're uh, going through the games, even there's notes I have on some linemen. I forget to talk about them because we get so excited about young receivers and quarterbacks and all of this. Uh, Matt, have there been any rookie linemen, Mm. offensive or defensive linemen that have impressed you so far uh, in this preseason? Wow. I got to say, this is a side note. Penny Sewell has struggled, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I really watched him against the Steelers, of course, and Melvin Ingram destroyed him. But Melvin Ingram's a good established player. 
I'm not saying Sewell's anything I'm worried about, but Sewell went from left tackle to right tackle in the pros. And I just wanted to mention, I meant to mention this like last week, that everyone's talking about Jamar Chase and his struggles. And I've noticed Sewell has struggled. I I really want to pay attention, and I haven't done enough of it. All the guys that opted out last year, I'd be shocked if any of them are doing well yet. You know what I mean? That's that's a a totally different story. Mm -hmm. No, it's a great point. And those are two top seven picks. And it's funny because if anybody was upset about the Bengals selecting wide receiver and Jamar Chase there, the guy they thought they should have taken was... Penesul, who's also struggling and also opted right, out. Right, so right. I think that's interesting. Nobody too. brings that part up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, um, sees the drops, but you know. Apparently, Rashawn Slater though is is doing pretty well there that's as a, a first one. round offensive lineman. Uh, I I do have one name I want to throw out there, which is Quiddy Pay, who had an impressive sack last week that I meant to mention in this um, in our in our post game reviews of the Colts. Uh, he he's looked pretty rock solid there and uh, looks just explosive coming off the edge. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, I was I was thinking more offensive linemen, which is why Sewell came to mind. I was going to bring up Slater. The reports have been great. What I've seen from him are very impressive. But some of my favorites, you know, Derisaw, Landon Dickerson, those guys aren't playing. Tevin Jenkins, you know, like it, it hasn't gone well for the high-profile um, rookie Offensive, offensive lineman, lineman thus yep. far. Creed Humphrey looked good. I saw some of him, you know, starting center, the lefty. But all in all, it has not been a super smooth transition yet. Yeah, there was really bad reports early on. I think they might have been all the way back to OTAs with Tevin Jenkins because I think they wanted him to come in and, and win a left tackle job. And it was clear when he showed up that he wasn't quite going to be ready for something like that. I think Liam Eichenberg, though, Miami's pick in round two, 42 overall. I saw a nice pancake from him. I mean, he's just come in and mauled people and you know just shows leverage. Looks like someone who's played a lot of football. Yeah, that's a good one, too. Um I'll be honest, I haven't studied them as much as the skill players. I mean, like everybody, it's a little harder to pay as close attention. And um, But it does seem like that there has not been, you know, Chase Young, you know, Bosa, you know, one of those type of guys that right. just lit the world on fire. Quiddy Pay's a good one. I'm really excited for Jalen Phillips, another Miami guy as well. But the O-line, I think, overall started a little slow. A little slow. Uh, I think maybe stock up for Sam Cosme has looked like mm-hmm. he belongs so far out of Texas. And there was some questions about him and his size and uh, if he was going to jump in and, and be ready to play early in his career. And on the, the flip side, Tennessee's second round pick, Dylan Radens out of North Dakota State, I think has had some struggles so far in his early transition to the NFL. A couple defensive linemen, though, that are stock up at the end of round one. 30th overall pick from the Buffalo Bills, Gregory Rousseau. Uh, Good one. Uh, he was an opt-out. Yeah, another opt-out. So you thought maybe it would take some time, but just his, his size and his length I think is going to be a problem for defensive or offensive linemen, even in the NFL, because he just he just stands out with, with how big and his big hands, and I think he had 11-inch hands or something like that, and he's pretty natural using him. So he doesn't he's not a twitchy guy necessarily, but he's got a lot of size, and he's already winning at the NFL level, which is a really good sign. And another one, and this was a surprising pick because he was another other opt-out guy is uh, edge player Joe Tryon. Tampa Bay's the last pick in round one, 32 overall, has looked dynamic so far. So a couple of, I think, really solid selections there at the end of round one in Rousseau and Tryon. If we're just judging by a couple of preseason games, and it's way too early to crown anybody here, good or bad. Good one. So yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Tryon. Uh, reports have been really strong with him. Great situation he lands in. Doesn't have to participate you know, right off the bat with a heavy snap count. 
Same with Rousseau. I mean, they've drafted so many guys. They're going to bring those guys in like hockey way, you know, hockey lines as well. I came up with two as you were chatting there too. I just wanted to throw out there. Leatherwood with the Raiders has not been getting rave reviews. And most of us thought he was overdrafted, but that doesn't mean he's a bad player. And the other one that I think that there's extreme excitement about, but he's a little bit blocked by their franchise player, Cam Robinson is Walker Little in Jacksonville. So they may have stolen a first round type talent later as their long-term left tackle. And I wonder, you know, they've already shipped some guys out. Would they consider, you know, moving Cam Robinson for the right deal? That's interesting. I, they're probably not. They, I think the franchise tagged him just to be sure they were going to be okay there. And Walker Little mm-hmm. coming off the injuries and uh, how little he played recently at Stanford, even though he was, you know, a big time player and a big time college prospect. I think it's just a perfect situation to wait that out and let Walker Little take over next year at left tackle. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, nice pick by them to to take a shot on Walker Little. Here's one that hasn't gone well. Offensive linemen clearly behind the defensive linemen. It looks like to start their careers, especially those opt out players. Not an opt-out guy, but and that's the surprising part here. He's supposed to be a safe pick. 49ers second-round guard Aaron Banks out of Notre Dame. Liam Eikenberg's teammate there. He, he only played one preseason game. He wasn't getting good reports in camp. The first preseason game he came out, and according to Pro Football Focus, he had a 0.0 pass-blocking grade, was beaten badly a couple of times, and then got Ouch. hurt. So that's all we've seen from him, which has not been good. No, no, I have not heard great things about him. Uh, since we're keeping it at home, Kendrick Green will be the Steelers' starting center. Um, a work in progress in protection, but very good coming off the ball and downfield blocking. A big man needs some love, too, so I'm glad we talked about the lineman there. Thank you for that question. One more question coming up. We'll see if we have time to check in with Matt's spreadsheet. How are defenses trending in the NFL next? It's that time of year again. All eyes turning back to football. The NFL teams are back on the gridiron to start the 2021 season. And as always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including the half million dollar NFL mega contest and the $200,000 NFL survivor contest open now at bet online head to the website use your mobile device sign up today to receive your 100 welcome bonus promo code locked on be sure to take advantage of their opening day promo make a bet on the thursday september 9th season opener between the super bowl champion buccaneers and the dallas cowboys and if you lose your wager will be refunded up to 25 dollars. bet online is the fastest easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports and get yourself a 100% welcome bonus promo code locked on at Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. This is a question from May on Twitter. Said, Do you guys see the league going much more towards the Carolina D scheme? Three safeties moving forward. Seems like the modern defenses use a lot of rotating fronts. One linebacker, a high percentage, and versatile DBs. It also seems like starting 11 is starting to. Wait, oh, starting 11 is more like starting 15 to 20 now. Yeah, a lot of versatile pieces, a lot of <laughs> yeah. players coming in and out. I get what May is trying to say here. And yeah, and we kind of talked about this early on in the offseason. Might have missed that episode talking about the direction schemes are going. But oh, absolutely, teams are going in that direction. And if you look at Brandon Staley, Vic Fangio type defenses and cover four and then uh, like sort of playing the pass down to the run instead of playing the run out to the pass is the direction that defenses are for sure going and a lot of hybrid safeties where is it a strong safety is it a linebacker i don't think it even matters anymore no you're 100 right uh that is the new fad with defenses and why the staley's of the world are super um sought after now and fangio's 
probably a little late finally getting the national credit he deserves for being a tremendous mind on the defensive side of the ball. And you're right, you know, we mentioned that Bill's defensive line uses a lot of bodies. You'll you'll see a variety of linebackers in game, sometimes only one. Three safeties is a very uh, strong trait that every team wants, you know, versatility you know, at that safety position. And safeties are asked to do more and more than ever. I mean, even a team like the Browns. I mean, the Browns put a lot of money and resources this offseason into their defense. And look at their secondary. I, I think it's pretty clear that, and I think they've even come on and said this, but I'm not positive, that they want to play a ton of dime. You know, that they want to be make dime their basic base defense with three safeties, three corners, probably even JOK is the only linebacker, and he's not exactly a 240-pound <laughs> linebacker. Right. I mean, think about the back six, the back seven, just team speed there. And I wonder, I mean, how's that going to fare against the Ravens? It's Yeah, it's interesting because you might see some teams that really – you know, there's not very many teams that even employ a fullback anymore. And it might be a lot yeah. easier for those teams to run the ball these days because you have to cover teams that are drafting. I mean, we've, we're seeing gadget guys, Rondale Moore and 155-pound Tutu Atwell getting drafted high in the second round. And there's a lot of positionless football. And like he mentions, there's 15 starters now on offense and defense because you got nickel guys and nickel is the new base, but you still need a nose tackle at times. And, and you need a you know tight end that is in line and a tight end that's flexed out and there's just so much positionless football on offense that you have to start thinking positionless football on defense too no without question and i think i'm sitting here looking at a list of teams you know the stuff for my spreadsheet that we're going to talk about here in a little bit like i think the giants and patriots are really interesting because new england's done this for a long time now they were ahead of the curve that they'll put two well, i would say vince wilfork but nose tackle type defensive tackles that aren't real expensive generally 330 pound guys Malcolm Brown put those guys on the field together and then just have a lot of nickel and dime behind it you know with those big body defensive tackles you know I mentioned the Giants Dexter Lawrence and even Leonard Williams Tomlinson who was there you know that if you can let those two still do nose tackly type things it, it it's kind of a nice way of, of riding the fence with size at the line of scrimmage and eating up blocks and then having a lot of speed behind you. Fantastic stuff. And it's always fun to see how things change in the NFL. And it's funny because Kyle Shanahan recently was talking about offensive play calling. And he said, well, I'm not making up any new plays like plays. These plays all exist. And so it's just when you call them and how what formation you're running them out of. And sometimes you think it's a new defense and then you realize, oh, yeah, this is actually just 40 year old, 60 year old veer offense stuff. And you're just sort of, you know, making the plays look different formation wise and and maybe some motion and things like that. So it's really interesting to watch how teams use things that exist, but it still continues to somehow change and it seems brand new. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of the window dressing and the sequencing of plays, but uh, uh, this games are going on a long time. There's been a many, many, many very innovative, smart people and they don't come up with much new. You just change it a little. Right, exactly. It's all window dressing at a certain yeah. point and uh, the way you utilize the talent around you and the shape and, and athleticism of the players you're putting in position to win both offensively and defensively. And it's so much fun. Uh, that's what I love about the NFL. There's a number of ways to get things done and so many players involved in a play 
uh, on and you need all 11. You need all 11 on almost every play to make everything happen correctly. Uh, we're uh, we're kind of out of time here, Matt. I think we got to push this yeah, spreadsheet to another day. We got to uh, preview some games on tomorrow's podcast. So let's let's move the spreadsheet to next week, and, and we will have some time and some extra time here with a week off before the regular season starts after preseason week three. Uh, first half points scored versus first half points allowed is very telling, and it's something I do want to dive into. And I'm sure you have some more on your spreadsheet that we could hit before the season starts but uh that's it for today's show thanks everybody for listening thanks for everybody who wanted to get in on the peacock and williamson fantasy football league apologies to those who did not get in but you'll have a chance to do it next year i think i think matt we decided that maybe the winner gets to stay and play again and then everybody else will rotate through if we do this league again next year yeah i think that's a good way of doing it and then um what if one of us comes in last though oh we're out no, you, we we can't come in last in our own league and, and do this I know. thing what again. What if that happens? That's my biggest fear. Like, what if I'm last? <laughs> okay, so what would if you? If I could give you a 100 percent guarantee that you won't come in last, or a 50 50 shot at being first or last, which would you take? The 50 50, because I'm not going to come in last. <laughs> well, I okay, I don't know. I sense some fear in there, Matt. That would be very embarrassing. And trust me, even like in my home leagues, if. And not like I expect to win it every year, but if I'm in the bottom two or three, yeah, trust me, something really – I could have had the worst luck in fantasy history. I mean, I'm still going to be competitive if I have really bad luck. I, I know I'm cocky to no end, but coming in last is, would be pretty much of a long shot. You I know think. what's funny is yeah, and I've tried to play less and less fantasy leagues recently, but there's been some an old home league that I've played in that mm-hmm. is probably the least competitive. And it's just fun to show up and do a live draft and hang out and have some drinks with some old friends. But I feel like I play the worst in that league, even though it's the least competitive. Does that happen for you? No, because I'm I'm only in that one, and it's they're all my high school buddies. It has the most chiclets on the line, so I certainly pay a lot mm. of attention to it. And it's my only redraft league. My only that's the only redraft league I'm in. Everything else is dynasty, and these are one these are my best buds. It's awful hard for me to pull off a trade, though. I mean, <laughs> trust me, I, I really can't. I think I have the most – I've definitely won more money than I've lost in that league, and it's been going on since, like, 1993 or something like that. Wow. No, actually, this is our, our 20th season, now that I think about it. So, And there is a lot of conversation amongst my buds. Is fantasy luck or skill? And I very much am on the skill side of it, but I understand there's luck involved. Oh, yeah. But there's 12 teams, and I have a winning record against all 11. So I don't think that's an accident. <laughs> all right. The, yeah, this, this would be fun. <laughs> I can't wait for this. Uh, but you can sense it. I don't know. I, at Williamson NFL, do you, are you, I think he's scared of the listeners out there. He doesn't want to come in last. I mean, no. I, don't, I don't have that problem. I'm not worried about it. So uh, I'm going to go win this thing. But, no, that would be a bad look, Matt, if one of us finished in last in this league. I know. What if it happens, though? Right. But there's some, we're going to be back no matter what. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, here. there's some smart fans out there, too. So I expect this to be competitive, you know. And if they're oh, listening to this too. show, they have an advantage on us because they know how we think about a lot of these prospects and, and a lot of our fantasy strategy. I'm hoping I can bully somebody in the league and just make great trades with them. <laughs> oh, is that you? Okay. I know you're going to be busy. And, and I, just getting the vibe from you in all your leagues is you probably one of the most active on the trade market. Yes. And this is really a dynasty note. I I'm a believer if you make 100 trades 
and you can make one penny on every deal. 98 cents for 99 cents. In the end, you're happy about it, you know? Mm-hmm. I like it. All right, good yeah. stuff. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Looking forward to the Peacock and Williamson Fantasy Football League. Matt and I will be back to preview the weekend and preseason week three tomorrow right here. Peacock and Williamson.